Welcome to The Story Tinker, a place for in-depth analysis of stories, including Midnight Poppyland, Purple Hyacinth, and more. Co-hosted by sharp, witty, and dare I say, thirsty fans, we dive deep into every episode, analyzing character, relationship development, and plot theories. You can follow The Story Tinker on all podcast platforms and videos of most episodes on YouTube. You can also follow The Story Tinker on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like weekly bonus content, sneak peeks, and more, you can support The Story Tinker on Patreon. Thanks for listening to The Story Tinker, and let's get started. I'd like to thank Natis from Instagram for messaging me and suggesting that we do a Sewer's Bride. Thank you! Everyone is very grateful. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of A Sewer's Bride. Today we have Patty, Peg, and Darla. Say hi, guys. Hi! Hi! And this episode doesn't have a title, but we can make one up, (laughs) maybe at the end. Could see what what title it belongs to. So the last episode ended, and I have like a question for you guys right away because there's a bit of a continuity question that I have. So the last episode ended where um, Ulan had just rushed in, and then his soldier had come in and said that Yujen had been found. She'd been married to the the, the prince of Qianli, the dynasty. Blah blah blah, all that stuff. And then we open up this episode with Yua and Ulan talking, but Ulan is. They don't really address what just happened, and Ulan is suddenly dressed. Did you guys notice that? Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. I wasn't going hallucinating. I went back and forth twice to double check. Okay, fine. But I, I, as far as I remember, there was a big break between these two episodes, right? Which would right. make sense that you come back to a couple months later and you forget that. Yeah. So I know, like, I read through a, a few of the episodes before I came on board and, and started taking notes for this one, and we go from them being you know, like they're basically naked and really vulnerable and somebody bursts in and says you know there's an attack that's going to happen and that princess Eugen has you know this is after Yua admits who she actually is and reveals her identity and this dude bursts in and he's like hey you know this is something that we we have to deal with right now the battle's happening we need you to go now um and so this kind of puts pressure on them and so I think that's that's why when we come back they're fully dressed because he's getting ready to go off into battle I guess that does make sense Mm -hmm. so we started off with um oh I totally forgot do you guys want to split this episode into four (laughs) oh you mean like who's who's explaining and Mm -hmm. We can. Uh, I usually just jump in organically as as things pop up, but I want to make sure that I'm making room for Peg and Darlene too, because I tend to talk a lot. I'm happy interrupting or doing it however you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, I mean, y'all three. I don't have to worry about y'all uh, not talking. <laughs> so. <laughs> Okay, so he's sitting now and his head is in his hands and he tells, he tells Yua, he says, Yua, when I was with you and there's this backdrop of snow, um, it's kind of like reminiscent of the battlefield. It's more kind of in his head and mm-hmm. you hear um, his soldiers. This is actually, it looks like it's um, actually now, sorry, it's not, it's, he is reminiscing, but the scene that we see is what's happening outside the tent. So you right. see- snow is falling and there's a fire and the soldiers are getting ready you hear them like kind of blurt out i'm going to skin those effing eastern scum alive if it's the last thing i do we'll be riding through the snowstorm prepare your troops this will be a fierce battle so they're about to head out and 
Oulan is sitting on the trunk in the tent. His head is in his hands. And he says, you know, when I've been with you, I've laughed more than I deserve to. And you want to ask him more than you deserve to? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was going through this episode, I was like, it's such a, this episode is like a masterclass in Lily's storytelling style mm -hmm. and the visuals in it. So I just wanted to point out a couple of things in the very first panel here. So, you know, a lot of times when you do a story uh, or a visual story or comic or whatever, people think you have characters, you have setting, right? And the setting is some sort of passive thing, like I'm in an office or I'm on the street or I'm in a car or whatever. But the setting in this comic is active. It's almost like another character as you go through. And there's like two characters in this particular episode, which is mm -hmm. snow and fire. And so they come together twice um, in the uh, visually, and this is the very first one at the beginning here, you have the snow and you have the fire. And um, as you go through the episode, you can see that they represent different things, but here they are um, together. Mm. Yeah, the fire continues right, like from the outside into the tent, right? Where they're, the fire outside is like a symbol of the war and the passion and the anger and the violence that's about to happen. And then the fire inside is, you know, the kind of like the internal passion between them and the warmth and the comfort of home. And I actually disagree with you, but I think it's very consistent. If you look, if, if we, when we go through, I think that the snow is sort of a representative and the ice of uh, war and death and so your duty and treachery and having to have your um, defenses up, whereas the fire is wherever it shows up, passion. Um, uh, well, in that, in that first panel, definitely anger. You see how angry they are and their hair is kind of whipping around there. Um, but yeah, and then like you said, connection and, and passion, loyalty, it, it would be loyalty in both places. Mm -hmm. But in that second panel, I just want to point out again here, I am talking too much, but how I guess talking too much. Lily uses the visuals to represent the internal, um, uh, emotional state, their landscape of the characters. So in this, even in the second panel where you're like, oh, he's sitting, he's got his face in his hands. And, but you've got the fire there. The fire is contained in those two, uh, whatever they are, urns. Um, and later on, the fire won't be contained in those urns. So it's kind of important that they are. And if you look at both their characters' hair, this is one of the only panels where their hair is limp. Their hair is not whipping around. It's not creating this motion. And it's mm -hmm. representing that heaviness of the feelings between the two of them in this moment. So they're, they're both their hair is just trooped, which is unusual. Yeah, I, um, I agree with you, Peg. I think there's like a huge elephant in the room here. And it's, you know, as I was going through the previous episodes, there's, there's huge bits about identity and truth and loyalty. And, you know, these are all things that are weighing heavy in that space. Mm -hmm. um, and so I love the way that you've pointed out that, you know, this fire kind of represents the turmoil and, you know, the war around them and then also the war within. It's all visual. And then there's nature on her robe because a lot of the visual, um, there's a lot of traditional art in this episode that invokes like Chinese paintings and they're on her robe. You see that style with the yeah. branches, which almost look like a fracture in there, but the branch, bare branches and the 
ink wash and the mm -hmm. leaves at the top. Yeah. And like part of what really got me here, and this is something that I really paid attention to because throughout the entire time that we've been reading this and, and, and going through this story, um, you know, the, the first things that Ulan says is that I've laughed more than I deserve to. And I've failed my troops. And it, you know, this, this is a huge issue, I think, with, with anyone who goes to war. Um, and we still see this a lot even today is this feeling of um, survivor's guilt. Of, I didn't do enough. I wasn't enough. Um, and, and it ties to that sense of loyalty that he feels to his people. And, and, how, and I think this really tags onto like what, what he struggles with later on. Um, and I'll bring it up again. Um, but like he, even when he's saying this, he can't even look at Ewa while he's saying this. He's just so distraught. Yeah. Which is, you know, first of all, nice that he's talking to her and revealing his mm -hmm. inner emotions. Cause I imagine he doesn't do that with a lot of people. Right. Right. Wonder where Cora gets it from. <laughs> one thing i'm gonna add to this because mm -hmm. um when i think of fire i think of warmth and comfort and safety and i feel like um in that environment he felt safe enough to um say his inner feelings to you uh so mm -hmm. um that's what the fire means to me mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah because he really goes in depth in these next panels but peg it looks like you wanted to say something more i don't want to interrupt oh oh no i'm good i'm just happily listening okay, <laughs> okay. i just wanted to make sure um because we go into my absolute favorite panel like i even have it in my notes favorite panel <laughs> like you need a reminder of what your favorite right panel is. right <laughs> Um, before, before we go into that, I just want to point mm -hmm. out how attentive Yua is and how she yeah. went from standing up next to him to leaning down and crouching near him and just looking at him with a very compassionate, sensitive, concerned look in her eyes, which mm -hmm. we love. Yeah. Oh, love her. Love her so, so much. And, and like, I think he can sense that, like, he's not looking at her, but he can sense it because he goes into excruciating detail about what he had to go through. Um, and again, this isn't something that people who go to war talk about, you know, just flippantly, um, especially with people that they've only known for a handful of days. So he has an incredible <laughs> amount of trust in her. Um, and he says, in the battle I was returning from, I was the last one standing. We were all betrayed by a trusted commander. Um, still wondering to this day who that motherfucker is excuse my <laughs> French um, and it says after all my troops were gone I raged on for days my anger and pain carried me through and then we get this incredible panel of Ulan it was clearly in the middle of battle and he's holding a severed head um, and he's in that in that forest in that mist like we talked about in episode three Peg um 
but I get this sense, like when I look at this panel that he feels incredibly trapped. Like, sure, he probably laid waste to those guys. Don't get me wrong. But like when I see this, like he's encircled by blood, his hands are covered in blood. It's everywhere. And I feel like I get the sense that he feels trapped. Um, the, the, nothing is going to take his pain away no matter how hard he tries. Can I put in a couple of visual elements too? Sure, sure, please. Um, those birds above his head that are mm -hmm. in between those bubbles where he's talking about the troops he lost, to me, they're kind yeah. of a visual representation of the spirits of those soldiers that, yeah. are, fly, that are flying away from him that you can never get. Plus, it's kind of got that Sumie, I'll defer to Darla, but um, that Sumie kind of look to the, the whole panel is very... Mm -hmm. um, those styles especially look at the um his hair his lashing hair which again there's that inner right. turmoil it's not hanging straight anymore and that's more than just the wind that's you know but it's see how it's kind of see-through like smoke but that's that mm -hmm. it, it, for, to me it calls up that um that traditional ink painting whenever i, think, I see his hair um, in the air like that, I think of him being like wild. And in this panel, it's very mm -hmm. barbaric and wild and it's sexy. Well, yes. The other thing is look at his tunic. It's basically a metaphor for this blood that's actually like flowing behind him, leaving a trail of, of grief. Mm -hmm. You know, it's even the colors even flowing out of the cloth there. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't see his face. Mm -mm. And I think that that's hugely important that we don't see his face. You see the face of the severed. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, he's, he's ashamed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like his downward glance, everything. Yeah. Oh God. <sighs> you know, and that under makes, you know what he says next, like what you said, no matter how many people I killed, I just couldn't bring the dead back. That does show and you were saying the shame right he, mm -hmm. he might even be feeling ashamed while he's killing all those people because he knows that in, oh yeah probably it's fruitless and it's just an expression of his anger rather than maybe even being necessary and yeah this, go ahead this panel the feeling i get that that atmospheric that evocative forest the snow it's mystical it's almost like a dream landscape that's an example for me of where the setting is like an active character like he's not alone to me in that one he's mm -hmm. there in that place and that place and him are in this there's a dualism rather than just being by himself yeah well and it's interesting that you say that peg about him not being alone and we'll talk a bit a little bit about this later when we talk about the okori Eno. sorry mm -hmm. if i'm butchering it um but he really isn't alone and we find that out. Um, but I agree with you, the setting, like there is that mystical kind of magical feel to it, um, that kind of heavy presence in that panel. And just, oof, that one gets me every time. Like, not gonna lie, that was my lock screen on my phone for like months. <laughs> I love it so much. Mm-hmm. You are listening to this, you know, we have a shot just of her eyes, just yeah. listening, being compassionate, open, wide, really being attentive to him. And then she puts her hand on the side of his neck 
and she says, did getting this tattoo hurt? And <laughs> who won't answer? It's like, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Count that. That's touch number one. Put a pin in that one. Okay. And she asked then, why did you do it? And he looks down for a second. You can kind of see he's thinking about it. It seems like it's a personal question. It's something that yeah. means something to him. And he says, it's just pause a reminder. And then we have a image, which actually, but Peg, I think I'll leave this to you because you're great at describing <laughs> images and what they represent. Yeah. Um, I, thanks. <laughs> and his, okay, Darla, that tattoo is a peony, right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in the first one, when he got, or earlier episodes, when he gets to his camp, the peony is on his flag, right? It's on his banner. Mm -hmm. Right. So she's talking about that tattoo. And the next thing you see is you're out in the war zone. You don't see soldiers. You just see spattered blood. There's a very ghostly outline of a forest in the background. You can see a tree. But within between the blood and the trees are these tattered banners. And you don't see a peony on the banners, but you just touched, she just touched his, the symbol on his flag. And now you see all these flags uh, waving in the wind, kind of torn to shreds. And yeah. it just evokes the suffering of his country as represented on his neck. Um, what they've gone through with the, the blood sprayed all over. I kind of want to point out, and this is more from a psychological standpoint, but I also think, one, you've got to think like that's got to be heavy information for someone like you to take in. That's a lot. And I think it's important that she doesn't shy away from it. She leans in. And like you mm -hmm. said, Peg, we, we get the first touch. And I think not only is she trying to make a point here about the tattoo and the pain, and I'll get to that in a minute, but she's also trying to bring him out of his memory. And mm -hmm. if you think about it, when, when someone has PTSD, one of the things that you try to do, or at least I try to do when I notice one of my clients is flooding is bring them up out of it to like bring them back to reality. And it's things like saying their name or, mm -hmm. you know, asking them a, a, an off-putting question like this, like the tattoo, did it hurt? So I think it, it serves a dual purpose here. Um, and it, it kind of jars him out of it like he actually faces her now um to answer the question yeah I was counting that double touch to his face mm -hmm. as the second touch yeah but the first one was just on the neck mm -hmm. but yeah I really appreciate all that and then you've got the fires behind there when the, the camera pulls back right yeah that so warmth. yeah Right. And then he, he tells you what directly, you know, what it, what it represents. He says, it's a reminder of those who sacrificed their lives in battle for our kingdom. And then, yeah. you know, then we see touch number two, which is you leaning out her hands and his hair is still dripping. It looks like that's water dripping from mm -hmm. his hair. And she, oh, his, his face is down. He looks extremely depressed. He's just that so scene. sad. You know, right. <laughs> that look kills me. Mm -hmm. And <sighs> she reaches both her hands out to touch his his chin and he's just looking extremely morose and vulnerable like he's not hiding his pain from her he's not looking away he's not looking down his head is on his hands he's allowing himself to be completely open and sad around her which a lot of people have a very hard time being sad around other people you're always like oh how are you doing fine fine it's okay it's okay like we brush aside our pain 
And right. very few people to whom we allow, and very few moments, even with the people we do trust, that we allow ourselves to show that we're sad or upset. Yeah. And there's this huge piece, and this is the part I was going to get to, because she she talks about his tattoo hurting and, and what it represented, and then also the emotional pain that he's going through. So she's she's trying to get him to see the parallel between his physical pain of that tattoo and then the emotional pain of what it represents and then the emotional pain that he's dealing with right here. And what I think, and this is just my guess, is that she's trying to point out to him as she's saying, don't do this, don't kill. This is a chosen pain. And, you know, can, can we back away? Can, can we step away from it? And he may not be able to, for, from his perspective, he may not see it as chosen pain. He sees it as duty. He sees it as this is what I owe my people. Um, and I think that's why he has the reaction that he does in the next panels is because he, he feels an incredible sense of duty. Um, and she's just saying like, hey, it doesn't have to be this way. Kind of like their own version of the third outcome. Um, there is a little bit of naivete in in her words in my opinion because I think she doesn't have the experience and obviously like there's always room for idealism and we should always personally I think like right we should always strive to for the Mm -hmm. ideal path if we can but I I understand why he would be so offended because he's like you haven't been in my shoes what do you know like how do you you haven't had to make I had to make I can I can completely understand why he would get very ticked off you know where where he he feels like he's been doing the right thing and struggling to with doing mm-hmm. the right thing all along and then she's like oh you know maybe what you've been doing all along is the wrong thing and like that must be very wounding yeah i could see that yeah but i would i would also argue that as a princess and what we find out a little bit about her later on is that she's a little more versed in war than we think um so i think that also has to be taken into account and and they're both very clearly wrapped up in their emotions right now this is really intense and not everybody's gonna think like they're not gonna think very clearly in that moment i don't think they're overtaken by emotion um and so she's just pleading with him like it doesn't have to be this way and i get that from some perspective that could be naive um but i think she's really trying to reach that part of him that doesn't want to kill that doesn't want to do this anymore And hence the misunderstanding. <laughs> right. And what happens with him, it triggers a very strong theme for him where he remembers his mm-hmm. father telling him, Mulan, my son, you are the kindest. And suddenly you see his eyebrows change. They're not like soft and open anymore. Suddenly he's ticked off. And mm-hmm. he remembers, and that kindness will be your downfall if you let it take over. So do not falter, do not stumble, and do not weep, or the Okuri Inu will devour you in an instant. And you see the flashback again of that scene with the demonic dogs and the father's father on the battlefield. So yeah. not a good memory. No, no. Um, honestly, and this is where I was like, okay, I need to dive back into, because I had read up on the Okori Inu before. I was like, I need to refresh my memory and look at this. Um, that kindness will be your downfall if you let it take over. So do not falter, do not stumble, and do not weep. So when I looked up this um, this legend, um, it's a it's a nocturnal yokai is what an okori inu is, 
and they typically eat humans and they're typically um, in like along forested roads or like in dark deep mountain areas um, which is pretty much where they are um, and so when I, I think about that back to Yuwa's journey and like how they met and everything and how she stumbled on a rock so one of the big things with this is that they're they're described as being like a double-edged sword so they're a protector and at the same time um they thirst for humans and so if you stumble if you keep your footing if you keep your footing and you're able to walk they're actually a protection so they'll keep other predators away other yokai away but if you stumble or if you fall and lose your footing as is common in those mountainous areas they'll actually eat you so and I thought about back to the night that that wolf attacked Yua. She had tripped just before that. And so I was like, oh, damn. And so when I think about this panel and, and what he's thinking, you know, he's going back to the, the moment that his father died, the moment where his father stumbled. I don't know what happened. I would love to know what happened in another unanswered question, but you know, what does he think that this is his moment of stumbling? Sure, I think so. I mean, mm-hmm. from what he says next, he, he thinks this whole thing is like a trap because that this moment of kindness that, you know, he's tempted to be kind and that will be his downfall. And that right. she's monstrous. <laughs> and that's exactly yep. what he says. He grabs her hand and he says, is that what this is all about? Let me ask you, Princess Yua. And, you know, he grabs her, he gets up, he's looking very aggressive, his eyes are, are glowing. And he says, what else were you schooled in? Assassination, seduction? Were you sent here to take my life? Were you sent to distract me while the real Princess Yujan formed the alliance to launch an attack on my city? And he grabs her and he's grabbing mm-hmm. her by the chin. I mean, he's quite mm-hmm. upset. Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, this is would be a big betrayal, especially coming on the heels of that betrayal by the commander. I can see why yeah. he's more sensitive to betrayal than perhaps he had would have been without that. So, mm-hmm. he, you know, everything that he thought was her being a good person or, in, you know, enjoying him and, and appreciating him, he's now suspecting maybe this was all a ploy. Right, right. So um, in the use of the backgrounds, which I've mm-hmm. been obsessed with in this episode, there are three panels where the background disappears and there's no background. Um, and that's at moments of extreme emotional intensity, but for Yua, for um, Ulan, and for uh, both of them. So this is the first one mm-hmm. when he grabs her, which is also the third um, touch. And uh, uh, it's his, uh, you know, his burst of anger there. And so mm-hmm. everything drops away, but that, that technique of doing that in it, it's almost like it, it hits us so hard visually. Mm-hmm. We have this emotional response because suddenly the, it like dropping out the background ratchets up the intensity, especially yeah. along with, because in the previous panels, their hair was still down and, you know, serene. And now mm-hmm. look, both their hair is whipping all over because of the emotions of this moment. It represents their inner, you know, her shock and response and his um, temper. And so it's it's just... The, the emotions are, are carried through the visuals so perfectly. It's kind of magical. Yeah. I, you know, and I, it's definitely intense. I'm not going to lie. The first time I read this, I was like, damn, Ulan, calm the fuck down. 
<laughs> but <laughs> but I get this and, and it helped me again to read the previous episodes because we have to think about this in the backdrop of his sense of guilt. He went into this knowing who she was, like, or at least knowing that she was she was the enemy, right? So yes, he thought she was Eugen, but that's still a princess of Sean. He enjoyed her company as the enemy. And so he's, in, in my mind, he's operating off of this intense guilt of, you know, I just came back from this battle. I lost a ton of my men. I've been canoodling with the enemy <laughs> and I've been enjoying myself and how dare I enjoy myself. And now I'm starting to think that this was all a ploy that I've been used. And so to me, after reading through all of that and like coupling with all of that, it, then his anger makes sense. And his eyes ignited too when he was yes. angry. Which, which made me think like, is this Ulan or is it the Okori Inu, like his battle side? Because remember he told Yua, that person out on the battlefield, that is not me. That is not me. And so I'm wondering if this is that moment, like, I wonder how much influence the Okori Inu had over this moment where he had that flare of anger of, you need to protect yourself. Like, this is the moment, because I think it's important that we actually see them, that they're these mystified demons in his mind. Like, they made themselves known. So I'm wondering, are they present in this room right now? Are they influencing how he's talking and saying? What do you, you, you've got something on your mind, Darlene. Um, I think he's, obviously, they're going to come out to, you know, say something mm-hmm. <laughs> through, his, through his anger or his, what's the word for this? Like, um, okay, so anyways. He's just really out of control with his emotions and feelings right now. Mm-hmm. And the Akari Inu is obviously coming out and influencing him into thinking um, or and questioning every motive this uh, pretty girl is, is doing. You know, mm-hmm. is this a ploy? Is she just some, you know, thought I can fuck? Or you know, what's the, what, what's her motive behind all of this? So he's, okay, like you said earlier, like the Akuri Inu is going to devour him every time there's, he stumbles and there's signs of weakness. So Mm -hmm. this is um, his way of making sure that he's not stumbling. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that okay. I think the the theory of the Okori Inu influencing him is definitely has legitimacy. But one thing yeah. I really like about um, stories in general is I like to to see people making mistakes and not making the best decisions because we mm-hmm. all get angry and we all get yeah angry or you know say things we shouldn't say or whatever it is in our particular mm-hmm. situation. But you know it's okay. It's not, it's not okay, but it's part of being human and you know yeah. we make mistakes and then hopefully we regret it and apologize later but even if this is just Ulan it's it's understandable and you know he's a human being yeah yeah and it could be just a representation of his internal demons because he's got a lot you know so I, I think the Okori Inu take that representation they they manifest it in my mind um and even you see on the next panel where he's asking her like 
what else were you schooled in? Assassination, seduction? Uh, were you here to take my life? Or were you sent to distract me while the real princess Eugen formed the alliance to launch an attack on my city? You like, look at his eyes in that panel. Like when he's grabbing her, like you can see the flares, like the red flares. And I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> he mad, mad. Yeah. <laughs> and you, uh, her defense doesn't, you know, crumple up in the corner and start crying. No. She gets mad at him too. And she says, I was not. She yells at him and she says, and there was no such ploy. Even while he's manhandling her, you know, she is angry at him. And Ulan's like, no such ploy, then tell me, how the hell did you meet with bandits who would never have appeared in those unused parts of the woods? Mm-hmm. And then we have a map, which basically shows that the straight direction, like from her kingdom to the Kyoming kingdom was straight, and they made a detour to the forest in the west mm-hmm. where they saw the bandits. So, and he asked her, he's like, why did you make a huge detour to Kyoming and intercept with the route I was taking back to camp? Yeah, and then it's sketchy as hell. <laughs> yeah, that's odd as fuck. Yeah. yeah, like, why would you do that? You'd have no reason. So I totally get why he's, like, his paranoia has definitely ratcheted up, but it's also, it's one of those times where, like, your paranoia gets validated by facts, <laughs> and it's unfortunate because it's not, we know it's not the truth. We know that she didn't know anything about this ploy, but, I mean, right. from his outsider's perspective, this looks really fishy. Mm-hmm. And we're about to find out why that happened. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, I could have brushed the coincidence as I, but not anymore now she's doing this. And now we get a flashback to the Sean kingdom. <laughs> just want to say, whole, yeah. I'm such a sucker for maps. I love mm-hmm. maps. It just makes me happy to see a map. <laughs> like, thumbs up to the map. Yes. Every good fantasy story, which I consider this a little bit of a fantasy story, has a damn map. I love it. <laughs> Tiny trees. Tiny trees. I just love tiny trees. It's yeah. so cool. <laughs> I'm very much not a spatially oriented person. Like I get lost all the time and I'm very bad at direction. So maps mm-hmm. are very I like I like kind of like scan them and like brush them aside. <laughs> but yeah, aside, many people do enjoy maps. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it I think it also like not to dive 10 levels of two into this, but if you look at the position of the Shan Kingdom where Ulan's forces are versus the, the eastern region of the Qianli, like they're very isolated they're surrounded by ulan's troops and the like obviously we're seeing very visually that their only hope sorry obi-wan um is the Qianli region sorry i'm getting weird <laughs> but like no, you can tell going. i'm just loving the little tiny houses yes political science (laughs) (laughs) the nerd is showing um but no like they're very they're very isolated and yet surrounded by ulan's troops so of course they're like freaking out and wanting to come up with backwards ways to solve their their military issue um they need more humans and like if we those tiny houses peg those are humans so they need more troops but a kingdom is a tiny house on the top of a slightly bigger house (laughs) boom that's what that is (laughs) (laughs) i got it took me a while (laughs) gotta love the maps yeah everybody at home's like jesus it's just a map (laughs) no it's not (laughs) 
But you guys, those little triangles, I those are mountains. <laughs> Just in case. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I gotta go back to first grade. Anyway. <laughs> so now we get some backstory. Yeah, so we're back at the Shan Kingdom, and the colors, I feel like I'm peg here, but the colors completely change. We suddenly have a blue sky, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> we learn things that we did not know, because we hear, oh, so Yujin's disappearance was faked, and you'd already sent her to the Qianli Kingdom days ago, and we're, we have two shadowy figures. We don't see who they are yet, and the other guy says, bound and gagged and completely unwilling, but yes. As predicted, with the unknowing help of Princess Yua, we've delayed the return of King Asura, so we had time to prepare for the attack and launch it successfully. And the bandits were tipped off by you? Yes. And there we have the answer. <laughs> yep. Um, this just makes me feel like poor Yua. She's got some sketchy-ass family. Like, <laughs> I, I, I know this is kind of rock in a hard place, but like, and, and we talk about this in the conversation going, that you know, both of them are like, why would you put her in such a dangerous situation? Well, you put her in this dangerous situation too, you know, it wasn't just me. Mm-hmm. I actually think when, by the time we finish all these panels, I had a positive view, but let's finish all these panels mm-hmm. and then let's discuss okay. cool. So turns out these two people, we see one of them is the king of the Shan kingdom. And he says, you've been Yua's mentor since she was a child. How could you send her on such a dangerous mission? And the other guy was the grand advisor of the Shan kingdom, we, who we saw before. And he says, mm-hmm. I can say the same for you. Sending her off as a replacement without a second thought, just because he, she isn't your flesh and blood daughter. Anyway, and this is, you know, showing his his trail of line of thought. He says, the Northern Kingdom has rejected every peace offering from us. So deeply seated is their hatred and distrust of this region. But King Asura is not without weakness. Send forth a maiden, send a maiden such as the fourth princess his way when his guard is completely down. And we have, you know, a picture of their their Mm -hmm. first time seeing each other. As a young hot-blooded male who spent years on the battlefield surrounded by hardened men, blood and death, he will never be able to resist. And King asks, in that case, why not Eugene? He said, no offense, but Beautiful women like Princess Eugen are a dime a dozen in his, in his court. Legendary beauties from far and wide are presented to him yearly. All have been sent back untouched to his neglected harem or back home. It isn't beauty that will captivate him, but something much more than that. And I've trained you all her whole life to be ready for such a moment. And then, this is crucial to me, I think. He said, the king says, you're yeah. best with destroying King Asura even more so than I am. Aren't you a northerner yourself? And the uh, advisor says, I've done nothing but good for this kingdom, have I not? Yes, that's why I trust you. Good, because I told you a long time ago, Your Majesty, I'm here to repay a debt. So I actually thought, maybe I'm reading this wrong. I actually mm-hmm. thought at the end of all this that he sent her as a way of making peace. I'm not sure if I'm interpreting it correctly, mm-hmm. because he says, you know, we tried to make peace with them and they, and they resisted. But I could see where it's like, okay, so it's violent. It is going to be, he says mm-hmm. here, okay, this is how we could have more time for our attack. But yeah, I, I kind of thought maybe he was hoping that there would be peace between them with her and them two marrying each other. It, I mean, that might be, that might be. I just think, I think it's interesting, like how far back does his plan go? And what was the grand advisor's real, his real meaning here? Like what, what was he trying to accomplish? Is he trying to accomplish he, peace? Is he trying to take out the Northern Kingdom? What do you think, Darlene? Um, okay, I just want to say, I'm like, does the Grand Advisor have the Akuri Inu following him uh-huh. too? Because his, yeah. his eyes be glowing 
and he's obviously angry and holds a grudge for many years. And mm-hmm. for me, I think he's sending um, Yuwa as a way to um, uh, get uh, Ulan's guard down. So he, oh. you know, gets in a relationship, has sex and whatever, and then boom, and goes Yuwa's, uh, you know, uh, what region attacking his region and then taking over yeah that's, i'm a little so, conflicted because i feel like he seems to be saying both and then i don't i don't get why his eyes are going red and what debt is he here to repay what i don't i'm, I'm still not yeah. sure by that well i don't think we ever find out the answer this is like the to me this is like their so this is why i really finger. oops am i frozen Okay. Patty's all frozen. Oh, poor Patty. Um. Anyways, um. God, I don't even know where to start. I have. (laughs) Okay. You were frozen, Uh, Patty. You were frozen a little bit, but I think yeah, you're good now. Okay. So, Peg, you were saying? Oh well, I mean, every story needs an awesome bad guy. Who's the bad guy in this one? Obviously, it's not Ulan, even though he's the invading purse king. So isn't this your bad guy in which case he would yeah be he's like the Clyde. yeah like revenge against uh Ulan. So I, oh i have a actually i have a, a question from the fandom for you patty oh god <laughs> since you have researched the okuri inu and i know you have like ten thousand theories so the question is so if if this guy is has the okuri you know in in him or it's under the curse or what have mm-hmm. you is the okuri inu hereditary in that the dad was talking to ulan about it does that mean that the grand advisor might be related to ulan a relative? But, uh, i was like is he a brother a question. so what do you think Daddy? i think he is related or i don't know if they're brothers i i they're think not, they are related he's not because high. it seems like it was passed down <laughs> Well, well hey let me just say, like, I believe, if I remember correctly, and if I read it correctly, I believe that Ulan's father had the Okori Inu, which is why mm-hmm. in, those, in those earlier episodes, when Ulan is younger, he does not have the red eyes, I don't think. Um, and so he is the one that is chosen. He's also not the oldest son either. So while it's hereditary, the Okori Inu chooses whoever they think is going to be the strongest, which makes me wonder, he's, he may not be a brother, he may be a cousin. You know, and it, it, if I'm going down the, you know, what does this mean for later on in the story? I think of Torah and Goliath, because we have mm-hmm. two people with this, you know, that are potentially related that have the same color eyes and and what does that mean because we still don't know what Torah's eye color means so i mean that, that's just kind of where my brain goes with it but yes i do think that the grand advisor is related to ulan thank you sorry <laughs> i just took a really long trip around that answer no that's great uh, analysis we live for your analysis 
but there's so much going on in these panels. Like I really like the character design of the dad. I mean, excuse me, the king of Sean. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I just like his face and how he's uh, sculpted there. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder, <clears throat> I was really surprised when I read their interaction because I thought, this is the king in the kingdom. Why isn't he cutting this guy's head off? Because <laughs> he, he lied to him. He deceived him. Like the king didn't know that this was a, that Eugen was actually um, kidnapped. Right. And then he, even though the king previously said, yeah, it'd be fine to tie her up. He took it upon himself to like bind a princess and haul her off to get married. And then took it upon himself because the king is also surprised by the bandit attack. So I was like, wow, that's, you know, and then he says, well, I trust you to, to, you know, use my daughters as, as pawns or I trust you with mm -hmm. both my daughter's lives. But that's a lot for a king not to yeah. know about in his own kingdom involving his own kids and their marriages and bandit attacks. And I was like, yeah. wow, either this kind advisor of, really of... has something on this guy or right. um, it's just oh, an a really interesting relationship. I mean, but another thing that it could be was pointed out to me when I was brought that question up before, but maybe it's it's a plot device so that the king isn't doing all these sort of scheming, manipulative things so mm -hmm. that he can still be a good-hearted character and not be, you know, so that the bad guy can be the do the bad guy stuff. Right. So well, and I still wonder is is the grand advisor actually a bad guy and again we don't ever really find out no um and but the, there's the other piece to this that really struck me was that he's been training yua since childhood so how long has he been in the kingdom yeah seems like he doesn't you know? look old. Mm -hmm. he looks right. rather young he look old. like maybe they Maybe they yeah. grew up as brother and sister kind of thing. I don't know. Because I think you would, I mean, she strikes me as around Poppy's age, maybe early 20s. Um, I think he's older than you, older than you are. Mm -hmm. But he also has intimate knowledge of, um, because the, the king, uh, excuse me, Ulan is this, the king of the north is this, sorry, Game of Thrones, um, is this <laughs> mysterious figure that's terrifying and like this mythological force that's going to come and sweep through us. But he knows his weaknesses, how he'd be tempted, what kind of girl he likes, whether his harem's neglected or not. He has all this very personal information. Right. So, it, you know, he says, well, you're a northerner, but not just any old northerner. He really knows. So that kind of would lean towards the um relative or fa some sort of family member or close to the court anyways because he, he knows things that some of his soldiers wouldn't know you know yeah he's probably still in contact with people in the north this is a, you know, a lot of his current information yeah um, gotta watch out for those advisors right <laughs> <laughs> so the part where i think the part where he says that um king asura does not you know use his harem and he neglects them i think that's kind of like a throwaway to us as readers to know that like yua has got the place in his heart you know he doesn't have other women i think it just makes us feel better about his connection to yua she's the only one for him yeah and i i, I want to caution people and not think that neglected means unused so because we we've had this issue before 
or in the <laughs> he's just neglecting them he's not interested well he does it, it does say that he, they've been sent all have been sent untouched to his, to his neglected herring or back home so mm -hmm. un, you know so that's good all untouched you know <laughs> that's a good um two who are two words <laughs> yeah i it will and i get the sense Patty. Um, but also, oh, what? You keep freezing. Am I freezing? Damn it. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. Um, but I don't, I, I think you may be right, Mindy, that he's kind of like a one woman sort of man. Um, that's the impression that I get. Uh, and I don't think that like, I think also part of him is like, I don't necessarily deserve to have this company or this treatment. Like I'm a warrior. This is what I do. I don't have time for emotions like this, like someone else we know in another comic. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, it shows up. Being... Mm -hmm. Yeah. This little... show... Sorry. I'm go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead, Minnie. Oh. It also shows, I think, some kindness of him because he sends some of them back home. So yeah, some of them he keeps, mm -hmm. okay. But some of them he sends back home, which is, is nice. <laughs> I don't know if that was a uh, very common back then. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Sorry, Peg, you were saying. Oh, I was oh. just gonna say that speaking of symmetry, this whole little flashback or, no, I guess it's not a flashback, it's an interlude down to Sean, um, reminds me as far as storytelling of um, the kiss in MPL. Oh, yes. Because it's perfectly symmetrical, just like the kiss. The kiss has these mm -hmm. certain panels that come in, center is the kiss, and then the, the same number of panels coming out. This one is actually, if you, I mean, I can talk about this later, but if you break down the rhythm of this episode, um, this is almost at the dead center of it. And you have three panels coming in, and then you have the central panel of when they first see each other from in the flashback, and then the three panels coming out again. Um, mm -hmm. And then you're back up to, and then, and then of course, the fire and uh, snow bring you back to the camp and to the gur and uh, the tent. So it's the halfway point, it's that perfectly symmetrical um, structure. And then you go back to what we started with at the top of the uh, episode, which is the, the flames against the snow, except this time the flames are inside the tent. It's, it's mm -hmm. perfect storytelling. I it's, love how it's yeah. built like a piece of music is what it is. I, I love how oh. like your, your perspective, like I would not, I would maybe unconsciously notice it, but I love how you can articulate it. And, and the fact that you said that it's like music, and I know you said you're, you have a music background. It's so wonderful to see like every, your background and everyone's backgrounds complement and fully flesh out in the understanding of the, the story. Mm -hmm. It's such a delight, it really is. I mean, this- episode, Yeah, I was looking forward to it too. <laughs> but this episode is just like Mount Everest of storytelling, it's perfect. Yeah. One of, favorite, one of the favorite things I learned when I was um, my first semester in college uh, at a, an introduction to psychology class was the, the theory, the term um, gestalt psychology, where gestalt means the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And it was just an amazing 
you know, idea. And I, I think about that a lot when I, where I collaborate with other people and you just see that you cannot come up with the same things that you do in isolation that you do when you collaborate with other people. Wait, darling, show me your sushi. I want to vicariously <laughs> eat some of that sushi. I'm already down to these few oh. beans. <laughs> wait, wait, is that one tamagoyaki, the yellow one? I'm like, yes, it's the um, tamago. Hmm. And then just for salmon. Mm -hmm. This is unagi, so eel. Mm -hmm. And then this is like a salmon um, roll with more raw salmon in it <laughs> with cream cheese and avocado. Jade's ears are really up right now. Oh my God. I'm just stopping myself from licking this camera. That looks so good. So good. You guys don't understand. I'm like way out on the prairie. There's no eel anywhere around me for like 500 miles. And you probably don't want to eat that. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so Peg, when we go to LA, it'll be a gastronomical for you as well. <laughs> oh, it's, it's amazing out here. You'll eat, you get to eat anything. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so now, um, now we're back in the tent and yes, we have this again, like you said, Peg, the juxtaposition of the snow and the fire, which is now contained, which I totally did not notice that the difference between contained and uncontained. And um, it's beautiful. It's just these gorgeous lamps. Um, <laughs> clearly he is the king and has nice stuff, <laughs> even on this battlefield. And she says, I know nothing of it. The route was planned by our grand advisor who'd also sent scouts before we last set off. Okay, so yeah, he, he knew what he was doing. And the bandits appeared from nowhere. And she's hunched over. Like she, I feel for her. You know, she's yeah. defending herself, but at the same time, maybe a little frightened. And um, well, yeah, like hurt. The hair says it all. It'll tell you what their feelings are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he still <laughs> got her by, gripped by the wrist. Uh, not that great. Yeah, he hasn't let her go. And she's in a really compromised position here because this has taken a huge turn for her. And I think there's fear, but also resignation. And we'll see it in how she speaks later on. Um, she tells him like, you don't have to trust what I say. I don't expect you to. I know this looks suspicious. Um, but if you know anything about my family, you know that the fourth princess of, uh, Iwa is an adopted child. Um, and so she's like that in, in her eyes, like using her as a device, she's, she's not she's not worth anything politically yeah she's yeah, less valuable because she's not a real princess yeah you just feel so bad when you hear her say that because you you just yeah. know that all these years she's been told oh you're adopted you're adopted you're not worth it and she thinks of herself as less worthy because of that mm -hmm. Ugh, just kills you and, hey. and of course the tin foiling person in me is like she's adopted where is she from? Who are her parents? Where? where? <laughs> so we'll never know. Why, why is adoption a common theme between these stories of this story Ooh. and MPL? 
good point. Good point. It's always like um, there's a child that's less than because they're not blood related. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it's just a little interesting thing that's in both stories. Yeah, yeah. And and I think there's also a definite parallel between chosen families too. Yes. Because we see that with Torah and Quincy, even though he's kind of like forced into this family situation, he could choose not to be interacting with Quincy. Um, but then we also see that that Yua still has some fondness for her adoptive family and the family that she finds later on. <laughs> yeah, and, and here's her fourth touch coming up. Sorry, what? <clears throat> the fourth touch comes up now. Yeah. Now here you can see he basically goes a complete shift in response to her words. The first panel, he still has those red glowing eyes, and he's he's still um, what's the word? His brows are still furrowed, but he's listening. He's receptive. And in the next panel, you see, like you said, he's holding her chin. He lifts it up and he tells her, you are a royal princess, so never bow to anyone, not even to me, especially not to me. Just a complete reversal of his behavior five seconds ago. <laughs> he's telling mm-hmm. her to respect herself and he's moved by how she feels yeah. about herself. He went from being angry at her and feeling betrayed to being moved by her self-doubt and her um, putting herself down. Yeah. Well, and I think because he's, he's the youngest son out of his family, if I remember correctly. So I think he identifies with that and her honesty, again, this is a moment where her honesty disarms him. Mm. Nicely put. Yeah. Ah, He's telling her to respect herself, um, not to put herself down, which is Mm. is validating. Um, and, you know, and he, his whole body has, you know, he seems like he's, he's slid off the chest and he's come down to, to greet her, to be close to her. And now he still has that one hand on her arm, but instead of gripping it aggressively and um, threateningly, now it's supportingly. But. And he lets her go physically yeah. and metaphysically. No, he said it's release. And, you know, you see your eyes are like, Kind of feeling wounded, her attentive, confused, a lot of emotions there. And he said, it's too dangerous for you to be here now. You need to leave. He turns around. Wait, oh, here's the second like panel with the background taken up. Mm. So it intensifies the feelings and intensifies your your re- response to the, uh, it focuses you on, the, on mm. him. And it has all those little backlit glows around him. So it, it yeah. that's kind of like his internal to me anyways it, it's like it symbolizes what's going on inside of him are those little those little glows maybe yeah. a or I was... and his hair is calm again mm-hmm. I was wondering if in that moment uh, um, it, it felt like this was you are and that she's also the enemy. Hmm. So he cares for her. She's the, did I did I get break up again? Yeah. Yeah. At least for me. Okay. Yeah. Of course it doesn't when I need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what I was saying before was that she's a duty to his family. 
again. Okay, let me try a third time because I know it <laughs> cut out on me again. So Yua is important to him. He cares about her. We know this. And at the same time, he has a duty to his, his people. And so in this moment, to me, this is his resignation of this is what I have to do in order to protect them both. I have to let her go. Reminds us of someone else we know, right? <laughs> uh-huh. And you see the dejection. He turns away. He's so sad. <laughs> and you said his hair is limp, right? I feel like it's that that's depression. He's depressed. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like also the the whiteness and the fact Very that there's blurry spots in front of him and the light coming out. It feels like he's, you know, this is him already back out there in the snow, in the battle, in the light, just leaving the warmth and the comfort of the home and the tent to just go out there and do what he's always done and be alone and be lonely in the battlefield. Yeah. Him giving things up again for her safety. He says, I'll prepare guards and a carriage to take you back. Yeah, totally reminiscent of Fort Toro having to say goodbye to Poppy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and part of me wondered, like, does he think that he's going out to this battle to die? Mm-hmm. Oh no, that's more parallels. That, that felt like I, I don't know, like the second time around that I read this, I was like, oh my God, is he gonna die? Because he's got that resignation and just that defeat almost. I don't know. To me, that's about the defeat in the relationship there or defeat of the okay. connection they're forming, just because he's still Okuri Inu, isn't he more or less really mm-hmm. hard to beat? So but then that the next two panels where you see his feet, he stops walking, and then he's got the dot 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 where he's those two panels are to me, he's making that decision in a sense to betray his people. Mm-hmm. In other words, to yeah. reveal that information to her so she could use it to protect herself, but she could also mm-hmm. use it in any way. You know, he has no control over it once it leaves his mouth. So he's putting that, she's kind of rolling yeah. the dice with her there. And he makes yeah. that decision with the, the those two. That's panels. true. I think he only cares about her safety, quite frankly. Hmm. So she knows that information, and she's going to do whatever she, the hell she wants with that. If she wants to warn her father, or if she's going to make a run for it and hide hide somewhere, I don't know. But I think he sacrifices his own happiness for the well-being of his people and it's just sad that he never has had like true happiness for himself yeah oh yeah he tells now he's very sad <laughs> well we're gonna get to unsad Poor quite dude. soon right <laughs> my favorite I don't know what you're talking about. Sure. No, we haven't been thinking about this for like two months. <laughs> this moment. <laughs> so he says the northern attack will launch a full-on, uh, the northern army will launch a full-on attack on all the eastern kingdoms when the next full moon rises. The kingdom of Shan is fifth on our list. Do with that information what you will. And again, he's not looking at her. And Yua is thinking over what he said, where you need to leave now. Do with that information what you will. And she has this completely plaintive kind of like begging look on her face where you can see how emotionally impacted she is by what he's just said to her and how she realizes what it meant 
And she thinks just like that, he'd allowed me to return home. Just like that, he'd revealed a critical state secret to me, the daughter of his enemy. And she can't just sit there and do nothing. And while his hair is flying away, again, well, Prague, right? The background's gone. She reaches out to him. <laughs> you can continue. Sorry, I took away the, the visual no, moment. Sorry. <laughs> that's fine. This is the third one. This is her, um, her impulse, her intense emotion. Yeah. <clears throat> the space between her hand and his hair killed me. I don't know why, but it, it just does. And you can see the emotional metaphor because in the actual panel above where he's like, do with that information what you will, his hair is going straight down. There's no wind in the, but it's, it's the storytelling. Like nobody questions. It's just perfect, you know, because suddenly there it's their feelings flowing. I see this panel, like he's this wild stallion that you can't um, rein in. You know, and it's like this gorgeous hair flying everywhere. And then this poor girl trying so hard to keep him in his, you know, still, but you can't. He has to run free and do what he wants. And that panel where she grabs him, she's kind of a wild little filly herself. Though. <laughs> Look at her. Yeah. yeah, I mean, her robe is already jumping in. down. <laughs> She's willing to shed some some layers to get to him mm-hmm. and show her vulnerability and passion. Oh, yeah. She grabs him around the waist. Gorgeous. Just like gorgeous scene where she's, you know, and, and they're going to say this later, but she might have a hard time articulating it in words, but she feels very, very strongly in this moment. And so she's letting her actions show that. Yeah. And he turns around, he's in shock and she just says, Ulan, and she sniffs. And she thinks to herself, at that moment, all with Lania writes, all I could feel was a crushing sense of sadness and pain. And she just says, Ulan again, and she's crying. And this is from his perspective, looking down at her. I had so much to say to him, but all that came out was his name. So I repeated that name over and over again. Oh, it's just like that saying. What's that saying? If you love something, let it go. And then if it leaves you, it was never yours. But if it like grabs your ass and starts crying that it is yours it's yours <laughs> that's how it went Patty. Yeah. there it is <laughs> i love this scene so much if it grabs your ass i'm gonna remember it that way peg <laughs> it really is oh god it kills me oh it just kills crying. me he goes and he leans he, he brushes away her tears and then we have mm. there it is Ah. Ah. the kiss okay over to you Ah. darling yeah go you can describe Ah. it look behind you beautiful it is a movement beyond uh it's like their hair is just flowing it's it's almost like eight it's asymmetrical but balanced kind of like yin and yang and the fire is making it passionate and it's just wild and passionate and great <laughs> yes you know this market behind you though at the what is it the kiss the wedding kiss wedding day you're painting oh, yeah. 
Oh, yes. You know this panel more than anybody except Lily Desk. Hmm. <laughs> you broke it it's down. A, it's a that. beautiful panel. It's oh. one of my favorites of all time. Clearly. I just can't I just, take my eyes off that. I love how at this moment, you know, they've been, I just, you know, human beings, like we have two parts, to, well, we have many parts, but we have the rational part and the emotional part. And all along, they've been using their rational part. They've been, you know, Ulan with, is she a ploy? Is it not? Yua with trying to figure out what her future is going to be. And at this point, they've disregarded and discarded their rational part. And they've just let their emotions come through because this is what they really feel for each other. They have a lot of reasons not to be with each other, but they want to be with each other. And this is the moment where they relinquish yeah. their rational brain telling them no, and they've just given into their passions, which says yes to the other person. So can I point out one little thing though, is um, remember when the last where, uh, one where he had, there was little glow marks around him, even though the background was gone. If you look at where the first panel after she grabs him with no background, and then it, she says, Ulan, the first time she says, Ulan, the glow on the front of him to if if following my theory of like the backgrounds reflect their inner landscape that that glow on him is his his feelings for her kind of building um it's also the fire mm -hmm. starting to come out of its container there and then if you go the next one yeah. she's crying ulan there's still a little bit of glow there on his shirt and then the next one and then it's a hand but then on the kiss panel the fire is now out. It's unleashed from those panels. Now the fire is all over the place. It's in her skirt. It's, um, uh, you know, it's all around them. And, and they're all covered in that, in the glow. Mm -hmm. So you could see the feelings build through that use of light in those panels. Yeah. And oh. then they're like in the fire for the rest of it, of course. <laughs> and I just want to point out, you were... Uh, and Poppy were both the ones to be like, hey, get over here. Parallels. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> like, I love how you were pointing out that they just kind of let their logical brains go. They they let go of the, the paranoia. And if you look at the scenes that build up to the first kiss in Midnight Poppy Land to this one, there is a lot of like trust and turmoil issues of like, you know, what's your motive? What's behind this? Can I trust you? or, you know, like to do with their, their plot end. And they throw all caution to the wind and just go for it. And I love that. Um, and the background colors are, are similar because like we've got a sunset in the back of Midnight Poppy Land. And then we've got the fire here. So I just, ugh, I love the parallels mm -hmm. between the two of them. I mean, I always feel like his, his feelings are like a fire in him. And then it grows and grows and grows into this until it just overflows and sweeps him away. Yeah. Her too. I mean, she's, but she's the initiator, so. Right. Mm -hmm. And speaking of being swept away, we have <laughs> a short, a short description here, which we'll do for this, and then we'll delve into it more later. <laughs> so you have that night, and you see a panel of them kissing. He's on top of her. She's looks like she's lying down. I don't see any clothes. What words fail to convey <laughs> expressed with our bodies instead. And then you have, I don't know. My favorite panel. <laughs> mm -hmm. Why you would be sweating, guys? Maybe it's just really hot in that tent. <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> I, I remember very distinctly, I was having a conversation with the girls and 
I can't remember. I think it was Lola. And I was like, girl, no, he's, that's his O face. <laughs> he's nutty. So. <laughs> but like it's, it's a really tender moment too but yeah he's like the fangs i'm sorry y'all like yeah. y'all are gonna get intellectual analysis at this point like fangs, fangs. i really i just I'm have done. to add i really like how he's like you uh and then while he's nutting right and you was like what huh like <laughs> what what are you what co- type of conversation are you guys trying to have right now but you know it, it's a common thing between them uh if y'all listeners uh look at sgs for um <laughs> ab's the conversation is uh, quite prevalent in these scenarios <laughs> that must be another magical superhuman capability because I, I yeah I there there is no talking typically during orgasm <laughs> oh yes yeah, that he, that's why try. I'm sweating thank you I didn't understand Patty they must be working out thank you I, I understand now <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh but yeah. i mean nutting is pretty self-explanatory I, nutting don't mean spreading peanut butter on white bread okay <laughs> killing me darling. <laughs> i'm dying here and we end the episode with it's warm in here it ain't just i have a southern taste what what? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not hear what you said, so I don't, I don't know why they're laughing. It's fine. <laughs> Something about the southern. I think there's a laugh. How come I'm about the other place? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord. <laughs> well. <laughs> Oh man! Oh man! But regardless, we have a lot more of this moment, and I love it. Yeah. So, uh, just to end this episode off, he says, "You are. I'll find a way to keep you safe. Stay here with me." Which to me is perfect. You know, they've done their workout. You know, their their Pilates, (laughs) and um, and after that Pilates session, they decided he just totally changed, and he decided to. He wants her and he's ready to, his emotions and brain have kind of merged together. And he says, I don't care what obstacles are between us. I'm going, I want you to be with me. So he's made his decision. It's okay. It's not Pilates. Dear listeners, they're having sex. It's fine. (laughs) I would be um, a little concerned if anyone read this and didn't realize that was was happening, but okay. (laughs) I think if they were like, 14 and younger they wouldn't know what's going on maybe oh, no. i know no. i am um, 14 year old they know yeah they know I was mm. <laughs> so what do we have to say about this episode as a whole before we get to our special content <laughs> one of the husbands by the way in the the midnight popular video he was like he called it special pictures i think it was elizabeth's husband so so special before we get to pictures. our special pictures 
Yeah. Like, dude, it's okay. It's smut. It's fine. You can just be upfront about it. <laughs> so what do we have to say to, to talk about this episode as a whole? Ugh. Um, it's definitely definitely one of my favorite episodes for A B. I mean, that last panel, it, it's all worth it. Like that's like <laughs> the perfect ending, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, I think it has the biggest, I mean, it's got the, the AB it's raw. kiss in there. It's got so much in here. It's got the biggest unanswered cliffhanger to me is the, the whole, what is this debt and, and the whole um, tension of it. Mm-hmm. I actually, um, this is like a math nerd thing, but I actually analyzed this um, panels analyze the panels according to the backgrounds and it has a uh remember i said before it was symmetrical with the sean thing at the middle um but it actually has a musical uh build to it like a build of tension so Mm -hmm. so like the panel one is the war remember the the fire in the snow then there's two panels in the tent then there's one panel going back to the uh, memory of him holding the head then there's four panels in the tent. Then there's the panel of the flags, that monochrome. And then there's five panels in the tent. And then you have the dad with the Okuri Inu, two panels. And then the first panel where the background drops out. Then another two panels, then the map, and then the shot. So anyways, if you, if you sketch that out, it builds a rhythm of like in the tent, two panels, in the tent, four panels, in the tent, five panels. Uh, so it's, it's, really beautiful and then the central piece of Sean and then there's 22 panels afterwards that have the same rhythm of uh one panel of the monochrome then six panels mm-hmm. of the tent and then the remembering and then another six panels in the tent and then two panels the panels where they're with the backgrounds dropped out and then another six so it's it's like flawlessly symmetrically but with the building tension, building a visual tension and a a pace to it. So when I broke that all down and I looked at it, so if you take the whole episode and you fold it in half, it's almost um, just lines right up. So uh, that's one of the reasons why this is one of my favorite episodes and why it is so extra and so flawless. It's the structure of it, as well as all the visual pieces and characters and the use of those backgrounds in such a... um, I'll use the word again, such a musical way. Wow. I would never have picked up on that without you pointing it out. I mean, I feel like I should try counting now, now that I, now that I have that in my brain, but I'm so appreciative of you for bringing that out. And if anyone's trying to do comics, you could think about that. That's a good way to build tension is to use that, that mm-hmm. visual pacing of the visual elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patty, do you have final thoughts on this episode? Uh, the biggest things to me are. Are you hearing me? No. Yes. Okay, just checking. Just checking because it's breaking up on me. But it's just it's visceral. It's emotional. Like it it makes you go from like. I don't know, like 
it, it's very, very much an emotional roller coaster. That's how I felt about it. And, and I loved it. It drew me in and it still baffles me to this day. So I, ca- I came in on the heels of AB being completed. So uh, thankfully I did not have to wait months in between for episodes but like I think it's really important like if you look at the notes that Lily left on these that you know this was a contest piece she didn't have to complete it she didn't have to go to these lengths and I think the fact that she did especially with this episode it just um how do you cut out yeah you're stuck you lost your sound where did I cut out? Um, <laughs> that she finished it for the contest? Yeah. Yeah. Just like the fact that she didn't have to do this and that she really put her heart and soul into this, it just it just makes me love her work even more and love her even more. So I just I appreciate that so much. That it, it the story means that much to her to complete. Patty, come back. <laughs> in this way sorry (laughs) sorry my internet keeps fucking up (laughs) can I say one more thing maybe yeah the whole episode is basically a conversation in a tent right it's not like a whole bunch of scenes it's a conversation in a tent but in that conversation in a tent think of everything that gets in there there's romance, there's quiet moments, there's a fight, there's history, there's family stuff, there's spiritual stuff, there's a whole freaking intrigue thriller right in the middle of it. There's like everything in this episode, every piece of like all the facets of the story kind of come together in this one scene in a tent. All of it, even the, even the smut. It's, mm-hmm. it's epic. I love this episode. Yeah. So speaking of smut, we're going to do um, stop recording here and head to our next section where we will uh, analyze the not safe for work version of this scene. So let me stop recording. Thank you so much to my current patrons, Susie, Lady Libris, Alley Cat, Lily, Jenny, Haley, One and Only Taco, Elizabeth, Maria, Molly, Veronica, Emily, Emily, Joe Rochelle, Dahlia, Saucy Tuckles, Meg, Anne Rose, Priya, and Stephanie. Your support is truly appreciated.